Hello and thank you for joining us on the Word Live podcast. My name is Nigel Bynan, I'm the director of Word Live, and it's so good to have you listening in with us. On the podcast, we're playing out some of the great talks we've had at Word Live. And today we're going back to 2017 and our evening celebration from Isaiah. Each of these talks focuses on one of the songs in Isaiah describing God's servant. And they paint a wonderful and beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus for us. I hope you find it brings encouragement to you in your walk with the Lord. So here's a reading and then the talk. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 48 verse 17 and I'll read for you. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea, your descendants would have been like the sand, your children like its numberless grains, their name would never be blotted out, nor destroyed from before me. Leave Babylon, flee from the Babylonians, announce this with shouts of joy and proclaim it. Send it out to the ends of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hands, and my reward is with God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord. My God has been my strength. He says... It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servants of rulers, Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Tonight we're going to hear from Julian Hardiman as he speaks about a song of mission. So let me pray for him as we start. All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. 
The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Father, we pray for Julian tonight. We thank you that your word endures forever. We pray that as he speaks, your spirit would transform us and change us and make us more like Jesus Christ, the living word. Thank you that your word endures forever. Amen. I wonder how often you find yourself saying, if only. I was doing that yesterday. We'd just got three different routes to come to Word Alive, and I'd insisted on doing the northern one, and we got into heavy traffic, and I was saying, if only I'd listened to my wife. Do you have that kind of experience? Well, seriously, people say, if only I'd taken out the right kind of insurance policy. And many of us have, if only, echoing around inside, thinking that we're trapped by some past decision, some mistake, that means that we're stuck and change is not possible. I wanted the end of chapter 48 of Isaiah read because we hear, we hear God there saying a remarkable thing to the people of Israel in exile in Babylon. In verse 18 of chapter 48, he says, If only you'd paid attention to my commands. Isaiah 40 to 48 is for us a bit like listening to half of a mobile telephone conversation. You can't hear the other half. Do you know it's like that on a train? You hear quite bizarre things sometimes. Sometimes you find yourself uh, deeply sympathising with the person who's speaking. Sometimes you feel yourself deeply sympathising with the person on the other end. You know, you know what that's like? And it, I mean, it can't be rude to listen because they're always speaking so loudly as well. We get to listen to God speaking to his people in exile. Isaiah, who had the most astonishing prophetic insight, was able to write God's words and know God's words in advance, many years in advance, so they'd be recorded, but they're presented with the freshness of an ongoing conversation. And basically, God says to these people who are in this wretched place in Babylon and stuck there, he comes and he has the most amazing word of comfort. And he says, look, I just want to get you out of there. I want to intervene. I want to put you back on track. And in fact, you're going to be what you always should have been. I'm going to get you back there, back into Israel. So once again, you have the chance to be my visible glory on earth and to spread the knowledge of who I am and how loving I am all over the earth. And if you track it, if you track the successive sections through 40 to 48, it's astonishing. He has to keep upping the ante again and again and again because they will not respond. They've settled in. They've got into being in Babylon. They've got into the Babylonian gods. They don't trust him anymore. They don't think he can deliver on his promises. And it all builds up into chapter 48 where Isaiah in advance says to them, come on, get out of Babylon. And effectively they say no. And what they're saying no to is not just being moved back to Israel and having a flourishing life where all was going to be fine and you know, the grapes were going to grow and their enemies would be defeated. They're saying no to something else that needed to happen. 
God is saying to them, you've got to leave Babylon, but you've got to get Babylon out of you. And they won't do it. And the end of chapter 48 is this kind of mournful, if only you would listen, you've got to get out, but actually there's no peace for the wicked, and that's the way you're going, into wickedness and rejection of my purposes. And it is a major hinge of this part of the book, this great transition, because from 49 onwards, the focus shifts. And the focus shifts away from them and onto someone else, the servant. A figure who's been introduced, and we've seen this already last night in in chapter 42. It's not altogether clear who the servant is in in chapter 42. We know it's talking about Jesus. It's not altogether clear in chapter 42 that it is a single individual. It could be a representative of the nation as a whole. But they've made it completely clear that that is not who they are going to be. They are not going to be God's servant to take the message of who he is out to the whole world. And so the focus shifts. And it becomes increasingly clear that this servant who we hear singing here in chapter 49, and we're going to be tracking him through the other evenings of the week and then the the last morning, that this servant is a different person. Not Israel. It can't be Cyrus. Cyrus, who's the great king, the um, uh, the Median king who's going to get them out. He's a quite different sort of person. Some people have said it could be Isaiah. No, Isaiah doesn't look anything like this. It is going to be someone who comes in the most special way to do what Israel refused to do. And then to do something in them to enable them to be the people that they could never be on their own. This is just glorious. I want you to think for a moment of all the if-onlys which are rattling around inside you, which make you think that you can't do anything significant for God. The things that make you think you're stuck the elements of resistance and fear that are there to allowing God to take over your life, the the, the mixture that we all have, that conflict between thinking, yeah, it'd be great to change. I'd love to change, but I, I just don't think I can, and I actually don't quite trust God to do it. I want you to think of all of those if onlys. And then hear what Jesus says to you about himself and what he can make you to be in God's purposes. And those purposes are worldwide. So he announces himself in verse 1, and he says, Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. This is the entire world, and Jesus wants everyone to know who he is and what he can do for them. Now, the first thing is a very surprising thing. We track this uh, lovely account and this prophetic account of uh, Jesus uh, describing, if you like, his own birth. Before I was born, the Lord called me from my mother's womb. He has spoken my name. And then look how the Lord was going to prepare Jesus and what Jesus was going to be. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. He made me into a polished arrow. 
The first thing that we need in Jesus, and that Jesus says he is, is a weapon. What? Huh? Yeah, that's what the text says, isn't it? I mean, if we were doing this in the 21st century, he'd be saying, God the Father prepared me to be a Tomahawk missile. It's an image of power. And he specifically describes his words as powerful. See, when Jesus speaks, and the word that Jesus speaks, the word of Jesus, the word from Jesus, the word about Jesus, is the most powerful thing. And can do things in and through us we'd never imagine. But what does a weapon do? I mean, we've got to tra- track the, the, the impact of the image a little bit, haven't we? What does a weapon do? A weapon wounds. I mean, at best it wounds, at worst it kills. How do we put that together? There is a sweet violence in the entry of Jesus' words into our lives because we're too despondent or too resistant or too despairing as we are. And we need something to crack us open. And one of the things we pray for, for a week like Word Alive, is that the Word of God will come in and do its sweet, violent work in cracking us open a bit, breaking us, revealing our need. Now, I just wonder, has he already started doing that? Will you invite him to do that? That is what you need. You need to be wounded by the word of God so then he can build you up again. Well, the second thing he says, having said, described himself as a weapon, he then describes himself in a very different way. Verse 3, you're my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendor. Now at this point someone will say, oh, it is Israel after all. No, he's the replacement Israel. He's becoming what Israel should have been. This is God saying, okay, I'm going to set human Israel aside for one moment. I'm going to bring divine Jesus in instead. He is going to be what Israel refused to be. And then look what it says. You are my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendor. Jesus comes and he opens up a window onto the beauty of of God. Isn't that glorious? In Christ, we see visibly and bodily the beauty of Almighty God. And it's all the more wonderful, you see, because Israel had refused to become the beauty of God. Israel had said, no, we're not going to display the beauty of God. We're not going to be the glory of God on earth. And what happens when you refuse to be the beauty of God? You turn ugly. If you won't allow God's beauty in, you turn ugly and become deformed and grotesque inside. And in the place of that, God sends his own son in whom we see his beauty. And I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But he does that so he can, as Luther has said, seek out that which is ugly and make it beautiful to him. 
I wonder if you think in these categories of the beauty of God. There's a wonderful book on Jonathan Edwards' view of beauty by Guy Scott Owen Strachan and Doug Sweeney. Let me just read a couple of quotes from them. The gospel does not shut down our imagination or our love for beautiful things, but rather fires and fuels them and directs them to the God who embodies beauty. Are you feeling ugly? I mean, you wouldn't admit it, perhaps. I don't mean physically ugly. I mean morally ugly. Look at Jesus. See his beauty. See the magnetic beauty of Jesus. Let him draw you into himself. They go on more than repaired self-esteem, more than pain-free lives, more than anything we can imagine. We need more of God, more of the things of him, more of his word, his spirit, his peace and his joy in order that we, growing more beautiful, might give him more of the glory that he, being beauty itself, deserves. But what does it look like when he comes? This is really fascinating. Look at verse 4. This is uh, imaginatively putting words into Jesus hundreds of years before the event, but entirely accurately. I said, verse 4, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. You see, when Jesus comes, when God comes to earth, he doesn't come as some, some replacement tyrant flexing his muscles. He doesn't even come as a kind of perfect version of a highly empowered king or, or, or ruler of some kind. He comes as an ordinary person. And he enters our world, which is a world of frustration. He himself endures that same frustration. Jesus wants you to know that he is a worker who knows how hard it is to fulfill God's purposes. We seem to be quoting Martin Luther a lot this uh, week and this year, and rightly so. I've been thinking, who, who do you think is the most successful Christian leader of the last 500 years? I mean, does anyone not think it was Martin Luther? Well, I certainly do. Okay, we're, I, I think we're agreed it was Luther. Listen to Luther speaking about this text. He says, there you have it. This is a powerful text. This is the lament of every preacher, that even though the word is sure, he has so few disciples. I preach, but there seems to be no fruit. All are leaving. And then he says, the dear man, we had this experience. The most successful Christian of the last 500 years says this is precisely his own experience. Are you struggling? Have you got family members you've prayed for for years and seen no results? Jesus knows the frustration. Other work colleagues you long to be able to share with and that, that the moment just doesn't come. Jesus knows the frustration. Are you a church leader, a leader of a small group, leader of a CU, pastor of a church maybe, and you're frustrated? Jesus wants you to know that he understands that, that he can still work through you because he's worked through that with a confidence that God's will will be a reward in the end. And then he has these uh, powerful verses in verses 5 and 6, and this is the bit that gets quoted in the New Testament, which is why we're so sure that this must refer to Jesus. Verse 6 is quoted by Simeon when he holds the baby Jesus, and he, he realizes this is who's come. It's quoted again in Acts 26, and again the link is to Jesus. And notice what it says. Jesus wants us to know that he is a worldwide light that brings hope. 
First of all, it says it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob. Yes, he is going to come in. And all who are chosen and all who will from natural uh, DNA Israel, yes, they will uh, uh, come back to God and be part of God's plan. But it's not just them. Jesus is so great that actually he, need, he, he needs a bigger mission. He needs something better than that to show off God's glory properly. And the glory is that Jesus will be made a light for the Gentiles so that his salvation may reach the ends of the earth. We underestimate the significance of that word light because every other human system and philosophy and way of life, every other way of being, while it may have certain qualities to it, is ultimately darkness. And it is only in Jesus that this light shines. Now, that's under great pressure in our day. Many people are questioning that. Uh, the, the pluralism of our day denies it. Jesus insists on it. Every other way of living leads to darkness. But there is light. And it's light in South America, and it's light in Africa, and it's light in Western Europe, and it's light in North Korea. And in every culture, the darkness is exposed, and something better is given through Jesus. Do you believe that? Are you starting to get cynical about that? Is something holding you back from committing yourself to some area of service or involvement or even prayer for people because you you just don't believe that Jesus is light for them? Your friends who seem so successful, from God's perspective, they're in darkness. They seem so self-satisfied. From God's perspective, they're in darkness. But there is a light that can shine into their lives. And then there's one last thing in this section. And this is where we start to understand how it all comes about. Jesus wants you to know, and he wants the whole world to know, that he is a winner who looks like a loser. A winner who looks like a loser. Verse uh, 7. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation. That was what happened to Jesus. Some people despised him and didn't think he amounted to anything. Other people abhorred him. They couldn't bear him. They thought his teaching was repugnant. Has anything changed in our day? People who think Jesus is just an insignificant figure from the past. Other people who think his teaching, particularly the teaching about his uniqueness, about his penal substitutionary death, that there is something offensive about that, his teaching on sexual ethics, all the rest of it. It's true in every era. To them, he looks like a loser. And then they look more closely, and what do they see? They see him on the cross. What did Jesus look like in the first century? He looked like a total loser. And he still looks like a loser to people today. People say, how can someone who was strung up on a cross 2,000 years ago mean anything particularly to sophisticated 21st century people? He looks like a loser, but it is in that moment of looking like a loser as he is despised and rejected of men hanging on a cross that actually he bears the world's sin. And the whole structure of reality is rewritten. And look at the results. To him who is despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you and stand up as a mark of respect. Princes will see you and bow down because 
They receive Christ and they see him in all his glory. And it will happen because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. There is a certainty to the success of God's plan in Christ. So often, it doesn't look like it's working. So often, it looks like Jesus has just chosen people who are deeply unimpressive to the world. And they, they, they just look like they're not the sort of people anyone would want to join. There's all sorts of things wrong with them. Even the great saints and heroes of, of church history, so many of them were really screwed up. I mean, everyone goes on about Spurgeon. What a great guy. Who was, he was an East Anglian yokel who did really well. But, you know, he needed to go off to the south of France every winter because he got so depressed. Even Luther himself had these great mood swings all the time. You get it in his writing sometimes. He was obsessed with his own flatulence and bowel movements. I mean, what a guy to be the most successful Christian in the last 500 years. You've got someone like Lord Shaftesbury did amazing things in the social reform in the 19th century. But Florence Nightingale said of Lord Shaftesbury, if he hadn't been, if he hadn't been helping the insane, he would have been among them. And I just look at myself sometimes and I think, good grief, couldn't you find anyone better to be pastor of my church? For goodness sake, Lord, send someone in who can do it better than me. I'm such a hopeless case. But God is at work. And he knows what he's doing and Jesus will win. And just sometimes we need to remind ourselves of what's happening in our world to realize that, that worldwide amazing things are happening. And they're all little signs that Jesus is winning. So this is from someone's prayer letter just reminding us. Mongolia. A lot of people prayed for Mongolia in the 70s and 80s. There were a few missionaries in Mongolia in the 1800s who didn't see any fruit but prayed. Even in the 70s and 80s there weren't many people in Mongolia. In 1989 there were six known Christians in Mongolia. Today there are at least 50,000 in a country of three million people with several hundred churches. And this is the best bit. Mongolia sends out more cross-cultural missionaries per head of population than any country in the world. We could repeat those statistics again and again and again. It's all happening. Now, this is where I want to bring it to bear on you and on me. And to come back to that if-only question, what are your if-onlys that are preventing you from throwing yourself more wholeheartedly into a life of witness and support for God's work worldwide? They are all dealt with on the cross. And God's great purpose is to come to you and make something beautiful in you that will advance his worldwide cause. Some of you, for some of you, that needs to be going out uh, and becoming cross-cultural missionaries or signing up for full-time Christian work. It's not everyone. And there are all sorts of ways of making an impact. This is my favorite anecdote of, uh, of the last year, I think. I've got very good authority. I'm sure it's true. There is a British missionary who makes the old trip into Saudi Arabia. Dangerous thing for her to do. She occasionally takes, takes a little bit of literature and gets to know people, but it's pretty low-key. She made a friend, made friends with a Saudi lady, Saudi, I think I should say, from quite a wealthy, high-caste kind of Saudi family. Lots of, lots, lots of wealth. Went over there a couple of years ago, maybe last year, I can't remember. And the woman said, oh, do come round. 
And she arrived and she said, we've had a new basement fitted. Come and see the basement. It's the kind of place where there's a lift down to the basement, go down to the basement. It's obviously a big room, but it's in darkness. Host turns the light on. 40, 50, people, 60 people are gathered there. The missionary woman kind of looks at the host and says, well, uh, yes. The Saudi woman says, they're here because they want you to tell them more about Jesus. So just tell them something about Jesus, please. So she does. She says, is it safe? Yeah. Tells them about Jesus. They disperse. Afterwards, when they've all gone, she says to her friend, the Saudi lady, where did all that come from? The Saudi lady says, we had a Filipina maid. And as she went about her work, she kept singing. And she sang all the time. Parenthesis, being a Filipina maid in Saudi Arabia is not a great way to live your life. Okay. She sang all the time. In the end, I said, why are you, why are you singing all the time? Oh, she said, well, I, I know Jesus is real. She explained the gospel to her. The woman became converted. Now, she had to pick the right moment to tell her husband because otherwise she could have ended up being executed. So there was a moment when they were snuggled up together in bed. I guess that's the best time to do it. And she said, something's happened in my life. And he said, yes. She explained. A bit later, he became converted. They shared the message around. And in a covert, careful way, with lots of subterfuge, a large number of their family and friends became Christians. Where did it all come from? An immigrant worker who showed that Jesus was real by the way she went about her daily tasks. That can be you. You don't have to fly off somewhere. The way you go about your daily tasks can make all the difference. And because our country has so many people from all over the world now, it can make a difference to people from all over the world. You've not blown it. Get rid of all those if-onlys. They're all dealt with on the cross. And live for Christ and see the difference. Another quick example and then a longer anecdote. I phoned up a lady in our church this week. She turned 80 this week, actually. She's not been able to come to church for a bit. Had a, a problem, dizziness, falls, difficulties. We talked about that for a bit. And then she said, oh, I see you're, you're going to Word Alive. Yes, yeah, I'm going to Word Alive. She said, oh... It's a really exciting word alive, and I wonder what she was going to say. She said, yeah, word alive. Now, I want to say, this is a lady who didn't go to university, has not left the UK very much, does not like foreign food, but prays and prays and prays for world mission. And what was the thing she was really excited about for word alive that she was praying for for this week? At the age of 80, she's not been to church for three months, she's in pain, there's all sorts of difficulties. She said, they've got a really good international student trail there, haven't they? Boy, I was moved. But it may be that there's something in you, and the if-only is more substantial. And there really is something in you that makes you think you can't make that move into serving Christ and his worldwide purposes. You're just inhibited, you're held back for something stopping you. Let me tell you about someone else. This is a man who's studying, a young man who's studying theology in the United States. And the uh, course was going well, and it was growing in knowledge and use of his gifts and training and all this sort of stuff. 
But there was an issue from his past, a pattern of sin from the past that had never been dealt with properly. And he became increasingly convicted about it. And saw this pattern of past sin, which was from many years ago, as a deal breaker for going forward in Christian ministry. Well, he sought out help. And he went to see one of his teachers. He explained what the sin was and explained how he just felt this disqualified him from ministry. Well, the teacher looked at him and smiled and prayed with him and invited him to pray and he prayed and confessed his sin and for the first time felt forgiveness and the teacher prayed an amazing prayer about how from that moment the guilt of the sin was lifted because of the cross of Christ. Next day, the student was walking around the campus and the teacher saw him, made a beeline for him, came up to him and just said, I love you. You could tell they were in America. That wouldn't happen in the UK. (laughs) And in that moment, that teacher was Christ to that man. And he was able to proceed into a couple of decades of ministry. I've been wondering whether to say this, but I think I will. I was a student, and Ray Altland was the teacher. Now, it wasn't the only thing that needed to be dealt with in my life. There's a repeating pattern of these things. But how important it is that we do not get stuck on the if-onlys and the I've-blown-its. And we know that Jesus comes to each of us, as Ray came to me in that moment, and assures us that it's dealt with in the cross. That he loves us. And that he can send us out to be what we always should have been and can be in him. The beauty of God displayed to a waiting world. Let's pray together and then Lou's going to lead us in singing. We can only come to you, Lord, as we are. There's no alternative. We come to you with all those if-onlys. We lay them at your feet, and we ask to see them nailed to the cross. And we realize, O oh Lord, that you've come to make us beautiful in yourself. We pray you would do that, not for our sake only, Lord, but for the sake of millions who do not know you. Take us forward, O Lord, back into our workplaces, back into our churches, back into every opportunity we have to show that you are real, to speak of the hope that is in us, and to make us what we should always have been. For your name's sake. Amen. This talk was recorded at Word Alive 2017. Word Alive is here to serve the church in reaching the world. Our desire is to resource individuals and churches and empower them in their mission to communities and the wider world. For further information and to hear more talks from this and previous events, please visit our website at wordaliveevent.org.